Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. We might not always have that intensity that we should naturally have, that we might not always be moved to a deeper pursuit of God when we think about the things of the Spirit. And because there's that possibility, there has to be this element of discipline. I have to discipline myself. I have to push myself through those times when my desire isn't there. That's where discipline comes in. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Hebrews. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Hebrews, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, in a message titled, Jesus the Son, Moses the Servant. Now, here's Pastor Brian. The sacrificial system that is established under the direction of Moses, all of this was speaking about Christ as the lamb who would be slain. Moses implemented those things. And then, just a couple of others, the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So just as Moses set the foundation and gave the word of God, and and of course, for the Israelites, it was always the law that they would go back to. And even the prophets who came and prophesied later, what were they always doing? They were always pointing people back to the Mosaic law. So so the law was the, the whole foundation for the nation. And that came through Moses. Jesus comes and he establishes the kingdom of God. He establishes a new nation, really. He establishes the church. And of course, he brings grace and truth. He doesn't negate the law of Moses. He says he didn't come to destroy the law, but he came to fulfill it. And so now in the new covenant, it is the the word of Jesus. It is the authority of Jesus. It is the understanding of the law by Jesus that supersedes what Moses had given originally. And so in all of those ways and others, we see Moses as a type of Christ. But there's one other thing. And in this, it's interesting. It's not at this point so much that Moses is a type of Christ, but it's in this this one incident that we see something very interesting about the inability of Moses and the law in comparison to Christ. What Moses could not do, as great as Moses was, what Moses could not do was lead the people into the promised land. Moses couldn't do that. He wasn't allowed to do that by God. He had, on on this one occasion, he had failed God in the sense that he failed to represent the, the merciful heart of God to the people. And it was for that reason that God said Moses would not himself enter the promised land. He would not lead the people into the promised land. But it wasn't only for that reason. I think there's a bigger picture here. The bigger picture is showing us that Moses, who represents the law and the law itself, can never bring people into the promises of God. And so Moses couldn't bring the people into the promised land, but Joshua did. 
and some of you know this, the name of Jesus is actually Joshua. And so Joshua, who the author is going to talk about next in the order, uh, Joshua is a type of Christ in that Joshua led the people into the promised land where Moses was unable to do that. And so these are the ways that we see Moses, as, as great as he was, he was a type of Christ. And Jesus is obviously, being God the Son, superior to Moses. And so, as we're told in verse 6, but Christ, he is a son over his own house, and then writing to them, and we are part of that household if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of hope firm to the end. And so this is where the author comes back again to another exhortation, another warning concerning the possibility of, as, as he put it earlier, drifting away, possibility of losing our, our grip, the possibility of not holding fast the confidence. And so this was the, the very real challenge that the people in, in his day were grappling with. It was that challenge of holding on to their faith in, in the midst of the, the suffering, the persecution, and the things that were happening. And so, of course, there's application for us today as well. You know, there are many today who have, have drifted. There are many today who are not holding fast to their confidence. In some cases, people are drifting back into just life in the world. I had two different people talk to me after the first service telling me about family members, friends that they know who are, are Christians. They claim to be Christians. They used to be in fellowship. They used to be committed and plugged in and involved. And now they're just kind of, you know, out there just sort of doing their own thing. Still Christians, but not all that excited about their relationship with the Lord and just more interested and preoccupied with the things of the world. It's a very real danger that we face. But it's not only the danger of, of drifting back into the world. That's a very real danger. But, you know, we can just drift into religion. And that was, that was the issue here. They weren't going to go out and become heathens. They were just going to go back to the Jewish system. They were, they were going to go back to religion. And there is that danger, too, of, of moving away from a vital, living, vibrant relationship with the Lord and just going back and, and just becoming religious. And sometimes this happens over a process of time where at, at one season in our lives, we had this intensity, we had this passion, we had this deep desire to seek the Lord and know the Lord and follow the Lord and serve the Lord. And then we just kind of settle into complacency. And we become religious and we're content with just some rules, you know, just give me some rules and I can keep a few rules and that'll be sufficient. Or, you know, I can just go to church and, you know, do that a few times a month and, and that'll be adequate. But the rest of my life, I'm just going to do my thing and be involved in the things that interest me and all of that. So the danger that was there for them is present with us today. That danger of, of failing to 
to hold fast, to hold firm to this, this vital relationship that we have. So here's the question, how do I, how can we make sure that that doesn't happen to us? Well, I pointed this out before, but let me remind you again. The author here keeps going back really to the same thing. And what he keeps going back to is a, a challenge for the people to, to really think about who Jesus is. You see, that's his method. His method is not simply to just chastise them and to tell them, look, you know, that you're, you're going to be judged if you don't do this. You need to repent and get back. You know, he does give some pretty sharp warnings, but what he is primarily doing is he's going back and he's appealing to them to remember Jesus, to consider him. And that's what he says right here in the first verse. He says, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. And as I've said before, I think this is the best way. It's, it's, the, it's the primary way that we keep ourselves from drifting away, that we keep ourselves from drifting back into the world and the flesh. But it's also the primary way that we keep ourselves from drifting just into religion and rules and, and church attendance and, and things like that, rather than a vibrant, vital, thriving relationship. We do that by constantly considering Jesus. That's the remedy. That's what he's telling us to do. He's telling us to consider. And the word consider here is an interesting word because the idea behind it is to fix one's attention in such a way that the significance of the thing is learned or to apply one's mind to diligently. You see, what he's saying is, he's saying you have to consider Jesus. And I'm of the firm conviction that if we just could get a, a glimpse of, of who Jesus really is. And we've been looking at that. But we just get a glimpse of who he really is and, and what he's done for us and the reality of this, the truth of all of this. If we, can, if we just get a hold of this, this will keep us from loosening our grip. This will keep us from moving away from that confidence. This will keep us from drifting because when I see Jesus in his magnificence, when I see him in his glory, when I see his great sacrificial act and his deep love for me, it, it stirs my heart to want to engage with him. And so that's the remedy. That's what he tells us. He says that we are to consider the apostle and high priest of our confession. And let me just give you four things practically that we do in order to fulfill what he says here. It begins, first of all, with desire. It begins with desire. We, we need to desire the things of God. We need to desire to, to know the Lord beyond where we're at today. Listen, there's no plateau you ever arrive at in your relationship with God. There's no time that you ever get to a place and you say, you know what? This is as far as, as I can go. This is it. I've, I've gained all the knowledge and understanding and I've, I've had the, the deepest experiences possible with the Lord. That, that can never happen. God is unsearchable. 
He's unfathomable. We can never get to the depths of who he is. And so we can spend our whole lifetime, we could spend a hundred lifetimes seeking to plummet the depths of God's grace and his goodness and glory. And we, we, we would never discover it thoroughly. So it should be our desire to keep seeking that out. You think of the apostle Paul who after probably at least 20 years of knowing Christ and following Christ and serving Christ and, and seeking him after probably 20 years, what does Paul say his great desire is? He says that I may know him, that I may know him experientially, that I may know the power of his uh, resurrection, that I may know the fellowship of his suffering, that I may be conformed to his likeness. So desire is a vital part of considering Jesus, desiring him. But it's possible that sometimes our desire is weak. And so the second thing we need is discipline. You see, it is possible because we're sinners. It is possible because of just our condition as sinners that our desire can can wane, that we might not always have that intensity that we should naturally have, that we might not always be moved to a deeper pursuit of God when we think about the things of the spirit. And because there's that possibility, there has to be this element of discipline. I have to, I have to discipline myself. I have to push myself through those times when my desire isn't there. That's where discipline comes in. And just like anybody else, I have those seasons where my desire is lacking. Oh, I know that I should desire to seek God in a greater way, but it's just not there. My heart is hard. I get indifferent. I get distracted, all of these things. And, and it's like, oh, you know, my desire has, has sort of dried up. What do I do at those times? Do I just say, okay, well, I just don't have any desire. I'm going to wait till my desire returns. No, you can't do that. You can't wait for your desire. You can't let feelings govern you. you. This is where discipline comes in. You have to just press through it with discipline. You have to commit yourself to the very things that you know are going to cultivate your spiritual life and rekindle uh, the passion in your heart. You, you have to just press through those times of seeking the Lord, being in his word, being in prayer, being in worship. You ever have times where, you just don't feel like worshiping. We're really a twisted people. You know, you think of all that, all that God's done for us. And sometimes, you know, we're just so unresponsive to his goodness and grace. We're so ho-hum about the whole thing. And, and how can that be? It's sad. It's true. It's just, it's part of the, the sinful condition. But I have to discipline myself to open my Bible even when I don't feel like opening my Bible, to take the time to stop and pray even when I don't feel like doing it, to engage in worship even though my emotions might not be there. But I do it, I discipline myself to do it. That's what we are to do. So desire, discipline, and then thirdly, there has to be concentration. You see, these things take a concentrated effort. If we just read over these things in a surface manner, 
We're never going to go to the depths that God intends us to go in. We have to go deeper. And the only way to go deeper is through concentration. We have to go beyond just reading the Bible. We have to meditate on the Bible. We have to study the Bible. I was having a conversation with somebody this week and they were, they were talking about a mutual friend who's been in ministry and all. And they said an interesting thing. They said, you know, I realized that they are more of a Bible reader than a Bible student or meditator. And I thought, well, the, you know, there is a difference there. And, and of course, there is a place for just simply reading the Bible, but not exclusively. We read the Bible, but we also want to meditate on it. We also want to study it because we have to go deeper. We have to concentrate. We have to think about these selves. And this is what he, we, these things, this is what he says. Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession. We have to consider that. So Jesus is the apostle. I need to think about that. He's the high priest of our confession. And, and all of these other things, it takes concentration. It takes time to stop and to think through these things. And that brings us to the last point here, which is time. Time allows for concentration. Concentration demands time. I can't concentrate if I'm too busy. If I'm in a hurry, I can't concentrate. You ever find yourself reading your Bible at times and you're just trying to read through it as quick as you can so you can get on to the next thing? That's not what we're talking about doing here. We do that. I do that. But that's not the way we should do it. It, it, it would be better than reading a whole chapter or two chapters and just getting through it as quick as you could so you could say you got your two chapters in. It would be better to take one verse and take that 15 or 20 minutes that it would take you to get through those couple of chapters. It would be better to take one verse and just think about it, concentrate on it. But you see, practically what we have to do is we have to make time. We have to make time. If I am too busy to focus in and concentrate on God's word, then I am too busy, period. And I have got to adjust my life. I've got to make changes. I've got to do something different because this is the most important thing. This is the most important thing. And you know, if, if you just stop and think about that, I'll tell you one thing. The devil doesn't want anybody to think about anything. Have you ever noticed that? Man, especially anything serious. Just keep us on the surface. Just keep us going from one thing to another. And our, our minds are going a million miles an hour with irrelevant, insignificant kinds of things. But, but man, don't let people stop and think about the real serious questions of life. Don't let people stop and contemplate their eternal destiny or anything like that. No, the enemy keeps us going. Just our minds working overtime, preoccupied with all of these things that have no eternal significance. We have to stop that cycle. We have to say, no, I've got to think about this. I've got to ponder these things. I've got to meditate on these things. We have to take time. We have to make time. 
And as we stop and think, and I'm closing with this, as we stop and think, you know, we need to realize this, this is true. And, you know, we need to always ask ourselves the question, if this is all true, then what does that mean for me today? It's all true. Moses, he really lived. He was a historical figure. He really did what the Bible says that he did. He really led Israel out of Egypt. He really led them through the Red Sea by the power of God. He really wrote the law out. He really received the Ten Commandments from God. And all of this, of course, is part of this bigger redemptive picture. Moses really did that. And Jesus really came and he really lived in history and he really died on the cross and he really rose again from the dead. All of that's true. And if all of that's true, what does that mean to me today? We've got to ask ourselves these questions. We've got to stop and think about the truth of these things. And as we consider what it means that Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our confession and many other things, these are the things that move us forward with the Lord. You know what we need to realize? Here's one thing I think is important that we realize. What Moses and the children of Israel were at, that, at the time that they were here in history, we are today. They were the people of God. God was working among them. God was working through them. And guess what? That's who we are today. We are the people of God today in this generation. God is working among us. God is working through us. Just like he was preparing for the redemptive work back in their day. So Jesus came and completed the redemptive work. But we're here to see the redemptive work of Christ implemented in the lives of people in this world. But you see, we have to stop and we have to think about those things. And we have to discipline ourselves to meditate on them. We have to make the time. And it's only when we do that, that we will be protected from the pull of this world back into sin and the flesh. It's only then that we will be guarded from just settling into complacency and into religion and into a few rules that I keep. No, we don't want that. We want to thrive. We want to live in a vibrant, vital, daily communion with God, where just like Moses and the children of Israel, and just like Jesus and the apostles and the other believers all throughout the ages, that we're right there in the center of what God has for us. And we will do that if we do this one thing, if we consider Christ Jesus, if we keep pursuing him and keep him at the forefront of our desire and of our devotion. And now let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. There are certain Christian books that we would refer to today as classics, books that have just stood the test of time and generation after generation of Christians have benefited from them. There is a book that is recently published called Gentle and Lowly, written by Dane Ortland. And, you know, many people are already saying that this is a Christian classic. Now, Gentle and Lowly is taken from the passage in Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus says of himself 
that he is gentle and lowly in heart. And so this book is looking at Jesus through that lens, and we're going to find out that Jesus is much more gracious, much more patient, much more loving than we ever imagined him to be. So this is a fantastic book, and I highly recommend it, especially for anyone who has a tendency to feel like they failed God, they've let him down, you're not sure about God's love for you. This book is going to, I think, forever give you the right perspective on the heart of Jesus for his children. So check it out, Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. Again, this month's resource is a book titled Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. You can order the book Gentle and Lowly by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Hebrews. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.